0: Welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm pleased to have on as our guest, Eva Van Pruen, a licensed marriage and family therapist, relationship specialist, and certified PACT therapist based in Santa Barbara. PACT stands for Psychological Approach to Couple Therapy. She has been helping individuals and couples thrive past limiting circumstances and create happier, more fulfilling lives and relationships since 2001. Welcome, Eva. Hi. So... This is a a podcast episode where we talk more about couples therapy and a specific
1: type of therapy that you do, which is called PACT. Correct. Yeah. It stands for Psychobiological Approach to Couple Therapy. And it was developed by Dr. Stan Tatkin. And what is it? I'm so glad you asked because I am, you know, I am actually a self-proclaimed therapy snob. And I just think that work is too important. You got to make sure that you're really informed, which is why I love what you're doing with your mind stories, because it gives people a good sketch of what they can find out there as far as treatment and guidance. And so PAP therapy is a type of couple work and it's really designed to treat even the hardest of cases. And what we're looking at really is three areas of study, attachment theory, neurobiology, and arousal biology. And it's founded on a variety of psychodynamic work, trance work, somatic work, social justice and social contract systems. There's definitely psychodrama and family systems work. It incorporates all these areas of study. And then we take these three areas of attachment, neurobiology and arousal biology, and we can look at a couple and we can really decode how they're getting into trouble and then show them the way out. And so with attachment theory it's really the quality of attachment you had with your primary caregiver when you were young you take it with you into adulthood and that is a blueprint for how you expect to connect to others attachment is as we know a signal and response system so if you're a child you know you're signaling for comfort for care for food to be clean to be entertained And the response, hopefully, more often than not, is accurate and precise and compassionate and comes without consequences. And then the neurobiology piece is most important because we're thinking about the development of the social-emotional brain. And the social-emotional brain is experience-dependent. So I have to experience something or witness something and have that sense in my body in order to be able to do it. And so we're looking at those three areas and then helping couples create what we call a secure functioning relationship, which is based deeply on fairness, mutuality, and sensitivity. So how do you begin? The first session is generally three hours. And this type of therapy for couples work, rarely do I see someone weekly or a couple weekly. So that first session is three hours to really get a sense of what's going on in the relationship. It's certainly a way we address the concerns of what's actually bringing the couple into therapy. And then I do an extended interview with each partner while they listen and pay attention to show them how they got where they are, what's getting them into trouble, and then starting a sketch of how to get out. And these interviews really reveal, it's sort of a cross-section, a very concentrated cross-section of their attachment system. And we're moving couples to start to become experts on one another. And in that first session, I make it clear that the goal is really for each person to know who they are and how they operate in the world, and then who their partner is and how they roll, why they do the things they do, or at least start building some insight and curiosity so that you can really become expert in one another. Because we know that mature, long-lasting love means loving the person the way they need to be loved, not the way you need to. So we got to crack that code so you can be giving that person what they need. Because when you offer someone something that they didn't ask for, or you think they should need, it falls flat every time.
0: Got it. So I guess going back to just this idea of how someone even gets to you, how does a couple even identify themselves as a couple that maybe needs a little bit of help? Why would they pick packed over maybe mm-hmm. another type of couples? Therapy? It's a great
1: question. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I think that mental health in general is difficult to navigate. <laughs> so we need a lot of information. There's so much happening online right now. You know, someone will search at a search engine, you know, divorce, marriage, difficulty with communication, infidelity, cheating, transition with family. People are looking generally for help, and then there's a few sources, you know, with some of these databases that have certified therapists and clinicians that they can direct them to. PACT is relatively new. Stan has started to develop this, I would say, gosh, well, I'm sure he was working for a long time, but I've certainly been involved with him and following his research for the past 20 years. He's got a good couple of books out there. Wired for Love, We Do two books that I highly recommend just to get people a good start on thinking about their relationship if they need help. So the word is spreading. This modality, this type of couple work is different and it's effective. And I really, really like the work. There's a high success rate. People grow and learn and heal and get on to the good stuff of living and loving a lot better. So I think the word is spreading about this type of work, which is not just content based. We're not just, you know, couples generally fight about time, messiness, money, sex, kids, extended family stuff, and all that will come up in a pack session. But we're really looking at the process, at how they manage those things. How are you managing all those conversations? Because we see in this model that there really is a fractal. There's an echo. There's a seed. How you do anything together is basically how you do everything. And once you can start moving that toward a more mutually sensitive and fair way of making sure you're putting the relationship first and you're taking care of who's in your care, your person, your partner, in a way that is unique to them, it just goes better. So it's a great question. You know, I think there's a lot of information now people are finding on the internet. Dr. Tackin certainly has a lot of trainings and things that are informing other clinicians and word of mouth is spreading and of course this literature. I'm hoping that just the word is spreading and that's how people are finding a PAC therapist. And it's it's known for being effective in treating difficult cases. Right.
0: So I guess my question is how did you gravitate
1: towards this specific type of therapy? I am I am so lucky. <laughs> I am I met Dr. Tatkin in my master's program when I was doing my master's in clinical psychology. And I took every class he offered, and then he started a study group in Calabasas, where he's located. And then that turned into something more regional, that turned into something more state, and then nation, and then worldwide, and within that, he developed the PACT Institute. And so I'm just so darn lucky to have, by fate, gotten in on the ground floor as he was developing this. I was really drawn to the effectiveness of it. It makes sense. There's a practicality and a kindness to it. It's certainly, it's an ambitious type of work and study, but it is science-based and it's not throwing spaghetti on the wall to see what sticks. These are well-researched, well-developed ideas, thoughts, philosophies that work and make sense to couples. So I was certainly drawn to that balance of science, practicality, and heart, and artistry, really, in that way. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: so I've done a few other podcasts on specific types of couples therapy. So I've done mm-hmm. one on emotion-focused therapy oh, and Yes. The method. So I guess my question to you is kind of, what are the similarities and differences between uh, yeah. your method and kind of some of these other types of mm-hmm. couples therapy?
1: Yeah. Packed therapy is what we call a bottom-up therapy. There's top-down and bottom-up. I love the question. It's so nuanced. They'll take a good swipe at it with the general pieces. But top-down therapy is top-down, meaning you're thinking about something, you're talking about these things, and then you sort of work it through. But what happens is we make up a bunch of stuff in our head about what we think is going on. But bottom-up therapy is the emotional brain has these neural pathways that are vertical and long and run through the body. So unresolved traumas or our attachment blueprint will show up in the body first before we pull it up into the brain, cross it over into the language center and try to explain to ourselves what's happening, which we, the brain likes to know what's going on. So we'll make up a bunch of stuff if we don't know what it is. So we use enactments so we can look at what's going on, how each partner's attachment system is interacting with one another. We can show how it shows up in the body and we can go right there to the bottom up therapy so you really get a corrective experience. The fancy term is called long-term potentiation, which is this collection of little miniature moments then all of a sudden you reach a, aha, right? And so let's say you're a dancer and you wanna learn a new dance move. The first time you try something, goes sort of okay, right? The next time it goes a little better. The third time, it probably goes really well. So if I wanted to do this and this, and then all of a sudden I'm doing this, it's in the body. There's something that happens like, oh, now I can do this. So the long-term potentiation piece is something that we look at. We help put clients into what we call enactments to show them uh, what is actually not in their bodies that they think they can't do. And then we help them do it. And it's interpersonal because with that social emotional brain, we are what we know. What we know is what we've experienced. And if we haven't experienced something, we don't know we can do it. I think a great example of this is for instance, with apologies, if as a child, no one ever came and repaired with you really well and said, oh, sweetheart, listen, that was my fault. I really wish I could have done that better. I know that was really painful for you. And I am just so sorry. If you haven't had that experience or seen your parents or your primary people repair well, then you probably don't know how to do it. Probably doesn't live in your body. And so one of the things with these enactments that we do in PACT is we show where those pieces are because making things go well in in a partnership often means having to do something that feels foreign, feels very counterintuitive. And so we set these experiences up and I really encourage clients to make these moves that feel counterintuitive, but are actually pro-relationship and then heal you at the same time by filling in all these things that you didn't know you could do. Like you didn't, maybe you didn't know you could approach someone easier or move away easier or stop someone. And so it's really looking at where those things that are missing and feel counterintuitive to do, but aren't wrong. (laughs) So it sounds like it's a lot of work
0: for a person to come into this type of therapy and they, they need to be ready to do the work, it
1: sounds like. You know, yeah, they want it because both partners have to be willing and sometimes one one or the other partner will drag someone into the session. And I'm always so curious, how did he get you here? How did she get you here? What did she do? How did you do that? And, you know, couples often, it's rare, unfortunately, that couples are proactive. I mean, they're probably proactive in other ways, but to come in and do a therapy just to sort of buff things out and to make sure you're on the right track. Couples often find couple therapy when they're they're really hurting or they've had a trauma or something's just going wrong or even a big developmental shift in the family. So it's such a pro-relationship model. Couples really choose right. We choose based on familiarity. And so I can show that. So this, yes, it's a lot of work. There's a high expectation certainly for the work, but what the couple gets from me is a high level equal or more of support. So it feels very contained, even though it is ambitious and a lot of work, but it also makes sense. So it doesn't feel uncontained and unsupported in that way. Very pro-relationship. Yeah. But I guess
0: the idea, though, is that both members of the couple are going into the same goal. to make. Not always. Really?
1: Not always. There can be a lot of hopelessness. There can be a belief that, hey, listen, this is just the way I am. I'm never going to be someone that's going to do this or the other thing for the benefit of the relationship. I just didn't, I wasn't raised that way. I don't do it. It I don't like it. And so I say oftentimes, well, let's pop the hood and take a look. (laughs) Let's see if that is true, like who you really are. Or let's see if it's actually an adaptation to neglect. Is it actually, you're not able to do it because you don't know how, or no one ever made a pitch for why it's better to do it or to show you how to do it. So oftentimes we just look at what can you and can't you do interpersonally? You know, there's conflict models, like I was saying before, of what you're fighting about. And then there's these capacity issues of like, what is your capacity for managing your person and drawing them to you? Hopefully using attraction and not fear. But couples come in and with different ideas, but I will ask on that first session, you know, 99% of the time, I'll ask the other person because I really want to know what each partner knows about the relationship and their person. I might say to someone, hey, you know, what is his biggest complaint of you? What is her biggest complaint of you? Or what is her and her and his and his? I mean, all couple, this works for all couples you know, all constellations and getting a sense of what they know. And. Couples generally understand why they're difficult to their person, but don't always know how to make it right, or they're stuck in finding an easier, better way through those conflict times.
0: So what are the skills then? I I know that depends on Mm -hmm. the couple, but what are some typical skills that you try to build?
1: Yeah. Well, certainly first and foremost is this idea that you know who you are and who your person is so that you get why they are the way they are and that you can manage them. If you have a partner, for instance, who you cannot rush, let's say you can't rush someone. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, we gotta go. And you're gonna set up for a fight every time. It is absolutely your responsibility not to rush them. (laughs) Right? And so, I mean, that's a simple, silly example, but knowing those nuances, if if you have someone, it's like knowing what someone's kryptonite, so to speak is, or what their allergy is. Like if, if you had a partner who was allergic to shellfish, you can't serve them shellfish, <laughs> and sometimes people slip up and say, "Oh, you'll love this. You'll love these crab cakes, You're like, "I can't eat crab cakes," and here comes a big fight, right? And so, the first and foremost is making sure you know how to manage your person, what you can and can't do with them, and how to help them be their best, how to elevate them. The second thing I think that comes up is really, it's an attitude of secure functioning relationship is that we are devoted to the relationship. I like the idea that a relationship is the metaphor of a boat and you are in one boat. Two people, one boat. Not two people, two separate boats because when you do that, you're in one person systems and there's no collaboration and mutuality, right? You're two people, one boat, and if someone does something to that boat, it happens to both of you. So it's best to keep that boat in excellent shape. Dr. Stan Tatkin likes to use the example of what he calls a couple bubble. It's one bubble, right? And that bubble is your security and safety system. So keep that bubble in great shape. And so there's the attitude of, we agree. We're going to do what we can to make sure our bubble, our boat is in excellent shape. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's many things, but I would I would add another that I think is crucial is how couples manage outsiders or thirds. And those things are anything outside the relationship, which is children, pets, hobbies, addictions, work, in-laws, all those things. Because how you manage an outsider, because in this model, the partners are primary. That's it. And then it's almost like if we're going to speak in computer terms, the couple is 1.0. And then out from there, It's 1.025 or however, 1.5, you know, it's out there from there. But the couple has to be first and foremost, the center. You're, you're the royalty on the thrones. you're the roof over the house and everyone is standing under your roof or invited into your kingdom, so to speak. And so how you manage outsiders, it can go really wrong, really fast when partners mismanage those outsiders. And what happens is that your partner loses. And they become second and it can cause a lot of pain, especially when it's built up, you know. So those sort of things. Yeah. Those are three big ones that certainly leap off the top here for me right. in thinking about that.
0: I mean, it as you're talking, it just seems very complex, right? Because how one couple manages outsiders. Successfully might not be so successful for another couple. This idea that, yes, you're in this bubble, but you need to figure out ways to, yes, it is the couple that's paramount, but there's also other aspects of their life that bring them meaning too. How to live within that bubble to allow kind of things to come in and out in a way that doesn't burst the bubble either.
1: Well, we're certainly talking about healthy boundaries, nothing rigid or, you know, brittle or loosey flimsy, extra permeable. One thing is that a packed therapists, we have, sorry, I'll say, I have no idea what someone's relationship is supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. And couples, when they understand where they've come from, why they do what they're doing and how to work together, they come up with incredible ways of making it go well. So I have zero idea and I make zero claims on what anyone's relationship should look like. I have zero, no idea. But I do have a bias, a strong couple bias that it should be fair Mutual and sensitive, and that they should decide together why they do anything, anything at all, whether it be monogamy or how they handle holidays or parenting, why they do what they do that they've decided together. And it's that mutuality. And in that, I will add that there's another thing that I think is really important is that we are always encouraging couples to aim for win win solutions, that your partner's success is your success. Because if you win, at your partner's expense, it's a lose-lose. So in that, if it's not good for you, then it can't be good for your partner. And that is another thing, a real foundational piece that um, I certainly promote and encourage in these relationships is that it's good for both, make it good for both. So in that, there's a lot of flexibility, there's a lot of creativity, and there's a lot of movement and hopefully a lot more fun.
0: Yeah. So what are some stated goals that people have? What are typical goals that people come to you saying they want to accomplish?
1: Yeah. Well, I'll I'll tell you, this is what makes PAC different is that what couples come in and generally think is the problem, you know, they'll come in and say, we're having a problem because of this content. And what I actually end up showing them is you're actually having a problem because of the process you have around the content. So the goal that they may come in with is, you know, we want to improve communication. We'd like more intimacy. I'd like to feel more accepted. I want to feel more valued. I'd like to recover from this massive betrayal, those sort of things. And betrayals do take precedence. We have to go through a whole process of of resolving and clearing the betrayal before obviously that, you know, it's an order of operations before doing other work. And so with that, They'll come in with goals of like, I'd like it to go better. I want to, I want to feel better. I want to feel more connected, you know, and, and certainly are the, the top five there. But what we end up looking at is, well, let's see how you got here. Let's see what you're doing, how these things are interacting, how the attachment system, the arousal biology and the neurobiology, when they come together, why they do what they do so that you can do all those conversations and all the content stuff so much better because we want you to have be able to talk about anything and everything without the threat of going to a full-blown war. So the goal really is managing your person and the relationship much better, regardless of what the content is. And that would even say even the goal. So bring a goal and the pack therapy is going to show you how to attend to that. Even if it's, you know what, our conflict is so much faster and more affected now. It's just quick. It doesn't go on for days. We're shortening the amount of time we're in conflict, which means the amount of time we're in having a better time is much higher. And that stuff, as we know, as psychoneurobiologists, <laughs> so to speak, that goes into long-term memory. And then the body starts to really know that and calm in those ways too. Mm-hmm. So it's a tricky answer about the goals, but it's, it certainly addresses all the goals that couples generally will come in with. So when someone thinks about doing this type of therapy, what are they committing
0: to in terms of time?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. You know what? So that first session is three, with me is three hours, and that's really to properly assess what's going on. Outside of that, I will tell you, depending on the level of crisis a couple is in, which we assess in that first session, and then determines how often we meet, I would say that about 85% of couples come in and do that one session, they get a lot from it. We get a ton of work done, a lot revealed. And then they generally come back the next week or in two weeks. And then usually in two weeks, and then usually in a month and out from there. So they're, you know, because they're going home with each other. And so they get to practice and work. And once this stuff is in the body, your neurobiological patterns understand and are starting to heal how you do these things and what you brought into a relationship, they're doing what they need to do at home. They don't need me. They, they don't need, they've they got each other and they're doing it well. And they have a new model, a secure functioning model to do their relationship with. That feels good because it really does. It feels so good to know how to be a skillful partner. We don't have many examples in our culture of how to do that. And so this is one of the, the ways that people can get a good look at what it could be like for them and then for them to develop what that looks like for themselves uniquely. And I think one question I wanted to
0: ask, because I think it might help also
1: clarify
0: the process of the therapy and the just benefit of the therapy is what kind of feedback do you get from the people you see, whether it be just after that first three-hour session Mm -hmm. or a few sessions
1: in? I mean, what do people typically say? I always check in on that first session of how they're doing with this work and uh, how they're doing with me, right? Because there's another example of that modeling. A lot of couples are surprised that they didn't think it was going to go as well. I think a lot of couples come in with the fear that it's going to be imbalanced and the therapist may take sides. So they are relieved most of the time. I get a lot of feedback. like, I'm so glad because it was balanced. In this work, as a PAC therapist, we know that the playing field is level. There are no angels and demons. Everyone's the same. You're both causing harm to relationship. There might be issues of conflict to work out where someone might be in a little more trouble at that time, but you know what? The playing field's level where there's smoke, there's fire. The bite fits the wound every time. And I see it over and over again. So leveling the playing field, showing how they're interacting and how they're both doing what they're doing shows that a lot of times the pain that they're in is very honest there's really no malice. It's just that they didn't know what they were doing. So the feedback is generally relief at the balance of it, at the pro-relationship feel of it, that it's not a threat to their marriage or to their relationship. And that even though it's rigorous, it's also rewarding, rigorous and rewarding and a, a lot to see that they didn't know before and helpful. Yeah. So a lot of positive.
0: And I was also going to ask, what about it do you think is the most impactful? Is it the understanding? Mm-hmm. Is it the insight? Yeah. Or are they the skills? What, what is it?
1: Yeah, I would say, let's see, if I had to choose, I would say it's, yeah, it is the insight. That you get to see your person, your partner in a way that you didn't before. It's almost like, oh, they actually don't know how to do that because no one ever did that for them and now they're having to do it for me and that's really clunky and messy. And it's like, oh, she actually, or he actually can't do that. So, or didn't know how to do that until now, or we didn't realize we were violating what I call thirds, management of those thirds or outsiders. We didn't realize that. We didn't realize we were putting people out of order. We didn't realize we were letting the kids be part of the roof, you know, instead of it's us. We didn't realize I was letting someone else sit in his throne, so to speak. And so it's an awareness that the way they were doing relationship didn't have that fairness, that mutuality, that sensitivity, and certainly didn't have an orientation to creating a win-win. Do
0: people ever think about this type of therapy just for themselves? I mean, it is a couple's model, right? But the model of individual therapy is to develop insight about yourself and
1: others. Yeah. You can heal the individual by doing the couple therapy. You can heal the couple by doing the individual therapy and vice versa and all the way around. I do think that this couple therapy is faster because... You're working right there with the person is usually the cause and the cure, so to speak. And so it does it does move things a lot faster, moves things along a lot faster. It also creates a tremendous amount of clarity. And then there's things that ground you. These things make sense. So there's actions to take and ways to think that are supportive. So I, as an individual therapist, I use these principles and share this information on relationships with my individual clients as well and look at how their attachment patterns might be affecting their relationship too. So, you know, I certainly apply all these principles to my individual work as well. And is there a role for family therapy in this model? Well, listen, you know, ideally it's the couples handling the business that they need to, right? But I do, I work with siblings, best friends, family business partners, mother, child, father, child. If one of the parents isn't available or isn't living or in the picture or Willing. Reunifications, adoptions. I would say about 80% is generally couple-couple, you know, for the primary. But I do work with family. The work I have is also informed by Family Constellation piece, which really looks at how a system is in order or not and who's in which role. So, yeah.
0: And would there be a couple that this maybe wouldn't be appropriate
1: for? I'm sure there is. You know, I'm such a fan of this model, it works so well because when you understand your partner, you create workarounds. So there have been couples on the spectrum that this works well for. There have been couples where there are organic issues, brain issues that weren't seen. And that was maybe causing some misattunement empathically or emotionally within the relationship it was causing a lot of harm. But once we reveal that and see what's going on, Couples, if they wish to stay together and do the work, they come up with incredible hacks, if you will, to make it go well. But understanding, you know, appreciation is learned. And once you understand why something has happened, it can really help calm any sort of sense of upset because the brain has a negativity bias. We don't really like to not understand things. And when people don't define themselves or they aren't clear, the brain fills in and the brain doesn't fill in with, you know. Candy and rainbows and puppy dogs, it doesn't go to Disneyland. It goes to really horrible places about what could be going wrong. And so when there's clarity, and couples can come up with great solutions. So I have seen this model work for a huge arc and continuum of couples of all ages, of all developmental phases, diagnoses. Those things don't matter because any couple, if they decide to, can be secure functioning. And here is this, is this Harvard study that started following a group of men in 1938 to see what, what impacts a successful, happy life. And the answer is good relationships. Yes, it's important to take care of your body, but taking care of your relationships, tending to your relationships to make sure they go well is another way of self-care and tending to this. And these men, they've been studying now for over eight decades. I'm sure you're familiar with the study show that good relationships is is for good health and the solution here. I'm wondering,
0: does the therapy ever end with the couple deciding to divorce or end their relationship as they know it? Does it ever end
1: that way? Sure. You know, I will say that I feel very fortunate that it's rare. But here's the thing is that it's not for me to decide if a couple should stay together or not. You know, it's up to them. And if they choose to separate, help them separate well. Because we do know that couples will go on to repeat patterns in their next relationship. So, you know, the pitch there, you know, being pro-relationship is, hey guys, why don't we just attend to this here so that you don't either drag it into your next relationship or that you can get on to having the good stuff here, which is a point of pride for couples that come through the hard stuff. They're like, wow, look what we can do. This is really wonderful. So Mm -hmm. yeah, when couples decide to separate... I help them separate well. And when couples come in and say, listen, we're done. We're either just, we got to check this out or one more round. I will tell couples that, well, yeah, let's run spell check, so to speak, a couple more times. But also I sort of find it's my job to show proof of death so that people can sleep at night and say, you know, I did everything I could to make that go well. Mm -hmm. And then they can separate well.
0: Right. But also this idea that even if you're separated, you still have somewhat of a relationship, right?
1: There's no such thing as no relationship. It just looks differently now.
0: It's to their advantage to be able to figure out a way to have a
1: relationship as they can. Especially when children are involved and when there's an investment of time, energy, and heart, and you may as well let that separation go well, as well as it can. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I do, I do. I'll help couples separate or run that spell check if they need to.
0: Yeah. Your work sounds fascinating to me. I'm sure I
1: love hard. what I do. I absolutely love it. I'm hoping to make the world a better place, one secure functioning relationship at a time, you know, whatever yeah. that might look like. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you don't have many dull
0: moments in your work with people. Oh, no, <laughs> so. I,
1: I just, my clients, they work so hard. It's such an honor. I feel it's such an honor and privilege for me to get to do the work I do and, and for couples to come in. It's mm-hmm. It's lively, you know, couples will say, gosh, that's long, that three-hour session. And then when it's over, like, wow, wow, that went by fast. We're exhausted, but that was fast. Yeah, it's dynamic. There really isn't a dull moment. It's fascinating. Good relationships are so important. And so it's a real pleasure for me to get to do the work I do.
0: One last thing I'm just so curious about is with COVID, how has your work changed with people?
1: You know, I am working remotely solely right now, and the couple work is still going very well. Even just with that three-hour intake, I'm getting couples on the same screen. I've had a few couples in different locations being separated from the pandemic, but it's going well. It's going well. Couples are reporting, you know, just things that you can imagine Of in addition to <laughs> pandemic fatigue of how to manage the stress and the added difficulty. But again, it's just a category of content we have to go through, certainly you know, significant this time. So couples are trying to figure out how to reconcile, for instance, how closed their loop should be. For instance, should we have grandma come over and, and should I go to the office here and, and you know, negotiating those things? But here's the deal with the packed model. If it's not good for you and it's not good for me, and if it's not good for me, it's not good for you. They're coming to a place of true negotiation that supports the relationship. And so I've been doing a lot of that work so that couples can decide better in a way that's win-win. And also the thing that's coming up is making sure that we know the brain loves novelty. And here we are at home with limited experiences, how to develop that. We're having to work a little bit more for novelty and relationship. And so, so supporting couples in that conversation has been, those have been the top things for sure.
0: Have you noticed couples wanting to do more work because it's right in front of them? Or...
1: Oh, gosh, that's a great question. It's business as usual for me right now. You know, it's just that I don't have the couples in my office and I do the work on rolling chairs. Each couple sits in a rolling chair and I have a lot of space and we utilize the couch and everything and the space where we're moving around a lot. So there's some limitations with that. It's kind of business as usual, other than I'm having to get a little more creative of how to create some of these enactments remotely, but it's working. And I'm, I'm really delighted. I'm delighted. You enlightened me
0: about your therapy. I'm so excited to know more about it. And I think it's really hopefully very helpful for the listener before we say goodbye. Is there last words?
1: Oh, you know, Dr. McNair, I'm just grateful to have the opportunity to talk about this. It's so important, you know, especially in this time, The social justice aspect of this work. It really is when we think about the fractal and the sort of the pebble and the ripples of the water. If we do well here as a couple, then we do well in our family and then our extended family. And then hopefully our neighborhood and community and county and state and nation in a way of just interacting better in a way that's fair, mutual, and sensitive and working towards collaboration um, and win-wins. So we have this time, if it's a novel idea to take your relationship to the next step or do what you want. You can certainly do a lot of reading on this with those books I mentioned, Wired for Love and We Do. And I have some blogs that, you know, outline some of this just to get people thinking so that in this time that's so difficult when there's so much important change happening, that we can do that well too, in a way that takes care of each other. I love it. That's yeah. the best ending I've had in a, in a long time. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. It's been such a nice uh, time chatting with you.
0: Yeah, well, I'll make sure you're um, a little bit about you. It's listed on our podcast description as well as some of the links so the listeners can learn a bit more about you and just the work in general that you do. Thank -hmm. you so much, Dr. McNary. This has been Mind Stories with remote appointments in California and offices in downtown LA, Santa Monica, Hermosa Beach, Marina del Rey, Echo Park, and Santa Barbara. Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, mood and anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more to help you get back to your true self. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories and don't forget to subscribe.